everyone, and welcome back to Irish on Tap, a podcast about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish presented to you by the On Tap Sports Night. And boy, do we have a very special announcement for our listeners, for our fans, for the people that follow us. We are also presented by a new company, a sponsor. Manscaped has decided to hop on board with On Tap Sports Net. And we just wanted to let you guys know that if you're looking for the best manscaping products on the planet, go to manscaped.com. Browse their awesome selection. The Lawnmower 3.0 brings you 7,000 RPMs of skin safe technology. So you don't nick, chip, or skit on your balls every time you're trying to shave that area. If you want to keep those guys fresh all day, no problem. Go and pick up the ball toner or the deodorant so you're fresh all day long. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code ONTAP to get 20% off and free shipping on all your manscaping needs. They have a plethora of different products, all that stuff. So give them a shout out. Check them out before the holiday season. Enough of that. Let me check in with my co-host, Brian. We got the dub today. It was a little ugly at points, but we were able to get a two-touchdown victory. And in certain spots, the team did look really well. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I, I was really impressed with the offense scoring. I mean, the second half was a little bit vanilla. They didn't really have to um, test it vertically as much, but they scored 31 points in a first half. That included two fumbles. I mean, it, I think they scored a touchdown on every single drive that didn't end in a, um, a fumble. I think there was one field goal. But, I mean, the offense was just moving the ball at will. Player of the game for me, Ian Book, not even close. He was just throwing darts all over the field, 20 for 27, 283 yards, 10 and a half average, three touchdowns. Ian Book looked phenomenal, making plays with his feet. And Notre Dame's 8-0, they're the second best team in the country. Yeah, and I mean, just look at the numbers. I mean, 20 for 27, Phil was 18 of 40. And, and in the beginning, Phil did look good. But again, Ian Book just has a refusal to go down, a refusal to get sacked. He's able to get yards on the ground. He ended up finishing the day as the leading rusher with 85 yards and a touchdown. And, like, think about the type of guys he's competing with between Chris Tyree, who got 17 carries, Flemister had 10, Williams had 9. Book ended up being the high on the day. And then, too, I mean, shout out to Ben Skoranek. That man, I mean, at the beginning of the season, with the injuries and everything, he wasn't able to see the field. Notre Dame Nation didn't really know what they were going to get with them or get with Ben Skoranek. Ends the day with five catches, 63 yards, and three touchdowns. I know he had a fumble late in the game. I mean, I know it wasn't as costly as if the game was close. But between Ben Skoranek, McKinley, and Davis, like the same wide receiver conversation that we had like four or five weeks ago and we could not figure it out as an offense, will never be had again about this team. I think they've really found their rhythm with moving the ball with that unit. Yeah, I would agree. I'm a lot more confident in the the wide receiver core now than I was three weeks ago, like you said. I still think they're missing some explosiveness on the perimeter that would be solved if Braden Lindsay came back 100% healthy. But we're starting to see Avery Davis make some plays on the perimeter as well, and he's looked very, very fast. I mean, he had two two receptions for 70 yards today. He's their big play guy in that in that slot right now and it's not close and I would agree with you about McKinley and Skronik both are emerging as books go-to guy I would give a little bit of a nod to McKinley but I mean it seems like every time Skronik catches the football it's in the end zone it's pretty insane and he's got some damn good hands I mean he made some receptions today that most guys most wideouts in college football would drop so that's something that's really to keep your eye on in the red zone I think Skronik should be that go-to guy because he just doesn't drop anything yeah, and he also has that size, too. I mean, he's a relatively big wide receiver. He's more of that possession receiver that we've talked about. And then, too, 
Another note on Avery Davis, he had three touches today, 99 yards. He had a carry for 29 and then the two catches for 70. So a kid that absolutely made the most out of every single touch he got. I didn't know if I caught this or missed this during the broadcast, but was there a reason behind Kyron Williams only receiving nine carries today? Did they want to kind of go with, with the Sebo Flemister, the more tougher back route, or what was the reasoning behind that? So they they did they they acknowledged that it wasn't because Kyron was hurt. They I think he was a little bit banged up, and they they just thought might as well keep him out of the game to prevent him from further injuring himself. But he wasn't like out of the game due to an injury. But unfortunately, Sebo Flemister actually went down at the end of the game, and it looked very serious. So prayers up for Sebo Flemister. But that backfield just got a little bit a little bit worse because I mean you still got Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams obviously, but with Sebo Flemister, you had one of the better one, two, three punches at back in the country, as far as I'm concerned. And now they just, Jafar Armstrong kind of might be moving back to running back because of Sebo's injury, because it looked fairly serious. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, Sebo Flemister is kind of that Jerome Bettis style back. He's our bruiser. I mean, he had 10 carries for 53 yards today and two touchdowns. He's the goal line back, the third down back. And a little bit of a change of pace. I know Jafar Armstrong is more of a quick guy, so it'll be similar to what Tyree and Kyron Williams bring to the table. But it is good that, you know, even too, I mean, if they really have to go down that far, they can ask Avery Davis to take some of those snaps too. But luckily it's more of a complimentary or rotational role. It's not like we're asking them to come in and be the number one. The offense, for the most part, I mean, the offensive line, again, just phenomenal like so much time for Ian Book to pass I don't believe I'd have to double check but I don't believe he got sacked today like the guy keeps his jersey clean like I said he finished the day with 85 yards on the ground and a completion percentage of 74 so I mean I don't know if you want to call me crazy but if Notre Dame is in the position to get to the title and win the title I know we're homers I know it's going to sound crazy but is there any sort of Heisman hopefuls on this team whether it be Ian Book or Kyron Williams I think the only one is Kyron Williams I think Ian Book has played honestly a Heisman caliber the past two games but his stats the first six games weren't good enough to be mentioned in the Heisman race but Kyron Williams would have to obviously go off in the next three games but he would be the only one in my opinion that has at least has any sort of shot but I don't think there's going to be anybody that seriously considers anybody on the Notre Dame team. But honestly, I, I think that's kind of a positive because they got so many different weapons. They got receivers. That was my biggest weakness at the beginning. But like we said, it's starting to figure itself out. They got a lot of different pass catches. They got Michael Mayer. They got Skoranek. They got McKinley. Now Avery Davis is showing out. Even Kyron Williams out of the backfield is emerging as a threat. And you got two really good backs. You got Tommy Tremble as well. That is just an unbelievable blocker as a tight end. Can also catch some passes. Like just because you don't have a Heisman hopeful on your roster does not mean it's a bad thing or that you don't have much explosion. Because we tweeted this from the Irish on Tap account. This is the most prolific offense that I've seen in a long time under like in the last five or six years under Brian Kelly. I mean, they scored 31 points at half with two turnovers. Like I said, they scored 47 against Clemson. A little bit inflated because of OT, but they looked a lot better offensively against Clemson than I thought they would. And this is a team that four weeks ago scored 12 points against Louisville. I mean, this team has come a ridiculously long way in four weeks, and we're seeing it emerge in front of our eyes. Tommy Reese, I think, is getting no real love from the fan base, and he should be. I think he's a considerable upgrade 
play calling than Chip Long was. I like their offense better. They're testing defenses downfield. They never really did that um, with Chip Long. They ran way too many RPOs. They gotten rid of that, and they're still utilizing Ian Book's mobility and be, being able to tuck it and run it. I really like what I'm seeing from this offense. Three weeks ago, if you asked me if Notre Dame has a chance to not just win the national title but advance one game in the CFP, I would have told you no because I didn't think this offense – could do it. But right now, I think they can. I don't know about winning a national title because Bama is looking pretty unbeatable. And then obviously Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. We'll see how that fares in the ACC title. But Notre Dame is right up there with the three or four best teams in the country right now with Ohio State. And I don't think there's that much of a separation because of how much this offense has improved in the last three, three or so weeks. Yeah, I think that's the most important part. I mean, I was telling some of my friends and me and Ethan were even talking about it during the week. I mean, if you would have asked us this question four or five weeks ago, we would have had a completely different answer and a bunch of different reasoning behind it. But the offense has really seemed to find their their rhythm. They've really seemed to find their stride. They're playing more complimentary football to the defense because every year, it seems, for the last few years, it's been the defense bails the offense out. The offense gets enough just to get by, and then we just continue the cycle. For Notre Dame this year, their offense has finally found that rhythm. And, and and whether it's passing the ball or running the ball, finding the tight ends or the running backs out of the backfield, they've proven to be successful with moving the ball. And, and, and one thing we didn't even really give the credit to for them last week, but no one has put no one has hung 47 points on Clemson in a very long time. Like, I don't care what you have to say about Trevor Lawrence or anything from last week, but the Notre Dame roster that we have in the team and, and where we're at currently is the most respectable spot that they've been in in a long time. I mean, if you go back to the college football playoff year, there were so many people that did not respect where we were at. They did not respect us getting that four spot and they did not respect us after we got popped off by Clemson this year. Like you said last week, I think Notre Dame has significantly narrowed the gap and they are right where they need to be with the, the rest of their work cut out for them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think in the trenches, Notre Dame is right up there, if not better than anybody in the country. I think there's still a little bit of a gap in terms of like NFL talent on the perimeter, but that doesn't mean this wide receiving core is bad. Like, obviously, I don't I don't think very many of these guys will be playing on Sunday, but like we've stated, they've got some speed, they can catch some passes, and they, they're pretty good in their own right. But I do think that's probably the biggest gap in terms of talent as the like Clemson and Bama likes of the world. And I would have told you probably maybe Ian Book three weeks ago, but I mean, this is the best two game stretch I've ever seen Ian Book play. He's so much more confident. We've always talked, he's always been really good in the pocket about not escaping sacks, but he's been really good about avoiding the pocket and actually keeping his eyes downfield in the last two or so weeks. And then also against Pitt and a little bit against GT. So it's more like the last month or so, but he's really good at making plays. Whereas last year, he would have just tuck it and run it. He's now looking downfield for Avery Davis, for Ben Skoranek, for Javon McKinley. And I think his ability to do that and he proved it on the national stage against a very, very good Clemson defense. His ability to do that puts Notre Dame into the conversation of an actual legitimate threat to make some noise in the CFP. Because like you said, Brandon, everybody's kind of made fun of Notre Dame before they beat Clemson last week in terms of, yeah, they beat everybody who they need to beat, but they can't. They're not a real threat because they don't beat any teams that they're at an 
athletic or talent disadvantage of. They were at a talent disadvantage of last week, even with Trevor Lawrence being gone. And they still won the football game because they executed their game plan and were very disciplined and didn't turn the ball over. And that's another thing that I wanted to say. They got to start. They got to figure out how to hold on to the damn ball because, I mean, the end goal is to beat Clemson again in the AC title. They will not do that if they don't win the turnover battle. Yeah, and one thing that I saw, and they, they showed at the end of the broadcast, Ian Book, 196 consecutive passes without an interception. I was going to say that that's just an incredible feat. I knew he wasn't good, or he was very good about not turning the ball over. But, I mean, that's almost, what, 200? That's like, that's almost. That's like two or three. That's like four or five games, to be honest. Honestly, more than four or five that, games. I, that's, I was going to say like seven or eight. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a lot. I don't think he's. He's, I think he's thrown one pick this year. I think it was the first game of the year. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But he just doesn't – he's thrown maybe a couple questionable ball, balls the last two weeks. Like, he's so good about not taking risks where he doesn't need yeah. to. And that's where he gets this game manager, quote-unquote, label, which I think he largely is. But he's also shown the last two weeks that he can gunsling a little bit. Like, that one deep ball to Avery Davis to basically win or tie up that Clemson game and eventually win it. I mean, that was the best – I've ever seen him throw a deep ball in his career at Notre Dame. Stepped up in the pocket after about three seconds and just de- delivered an absolute dart. And if he can do that, like, where's the where's his weakness? I don't see it. Yeah, so on the season, you're correct. He only has one interception. He's 20th in the nation with 1,535 yards, eight touchdowns, and then also 21st in the nation with a qu- quarterback rating of 79.9. And then, two, he also has two rushing touchdowns. So, I mean, 10 total touchdowns. It's not eye-opening stats. It's nothing crazy, but... The guy finds a way to win a football game every Saturday. And even in the beginning of this game, like you talked about, I mean, what was it? The Chris Tyree fumble that set Boston College up early in the game at the at the Notre Dame, like 25. And the Notre Dame defense comes out and gets a three and out. I thought it was really going to be a battle after that. At that point in the game, I was like, Notre Dame is, this is the trap game that we talked about. The one that we've talked about on several episodes this year where they just come out slow. They're not able to get anything going. And then like, after the first quarter, those few blunders that occurred, aside from the late fumbles and everything, the offense was able to move the ball every time they got it. And that's one thing I really wasn't worried about with this Boston College offense, especially considering I've seen plenty of their games. I know that every game that they play in is a shootout. I mean, 76 points over under was 51 and a half. So, I mean, a lot of fucking points. Notre Dame almost hit it by themselves. Yeah, I was expecting more of a shootout today because I figured BC's only chance of winning was taking a lot of deep balls. And we saw that early. Um, BC's best shot at the beginning of the game or with Yurkovich was scrambling out of the pocket, receiver breaking out of his route, and just basically a broken play, which really um, hurt Notre Dame at the beginning of the game and, and got Boston College off to the lead along with the turnover by Chris Tyree slash Ian Book. Who knows whose fault it was? Probably Tyree's. But I was a little, I don't want to say disappointed in the defense, but I did think their pass, their DBs looked a little lost playing the ball in the air. I thought Sean Crawford had a couple questionable plays when the ball was in the air by Jerkovich, which is something that will be a little bit of a test when they inevitably play Trevor Lawrence because obviously he can throw it and um, downfield with the best of them. And obviously hurt not having Tariq Bracey. Clarence Lewis, true freshman, had to be starting tonight. I thought he did fine, but Tariq Bracey's obviously a little bit of an upgrade. Um, But 
I think the defense is starting to show a little bit of holes, actually, in the last two weeks. I mean, Clemson's probably the second best offense in the country. And although they gave up 40 points and 30 in regu- 33 in regulation, I thought the defense still had things that they could cover up to improve upon. And I think the same thing happened this week against BC. I think Clark Lee is going to obviously... Um, coach them up and probably figure out those weaknesses moving forward. But I do think this defense actually does have room to get better. Yeah, and it starts in that secondary. I mean, the front seven is really not an issue to me. I feel like the linemen and the linebackers have really held their weight the entire season. It was something that we really skipped over last week. And I hate that I have to bring the name up because I can't get it right. But ukulele threw for 440 yards. So, I mean, we talked about the fact that, like, if Trevor Lawrence played, what more could he have possibly done? 440 yards is still a lot of yards to give up through the air. And I know later in the game, they were probably trying to play more like, let's not lose this game than let's go out and absolutely definitively finish them. But I just need to see some improvement from this secondary as far as it goes for like full body of work. They have great plays and they have nice pass deflections and pass breakups, but they also do have their breakdowns. I mean, that play in the end zone where I, I don't know who it was on Boston College that got the touchdown, but it was a breakdown on the play. The guy planted his foot in the ground and then was able to get over to the ball. Meanwhile, Nick McLeod, like his momentum carried him the other way. So he was not able to get over to the ball. And it's just like certain plays like that where he'll literally toss the duck. You got to find a way to get to the football or at least bat it down. And Nick McLeod has made plenty of great plays up to this point in the season. So he's allowed, I mean, you hate to say it like this, but he, I mean, everybody's going to make a mistake here or there. Like it happens. But looking forward, like even just thinking about North Carolina, I don't think North Carolina can actually beat us because their defense is so bad. But Sam Howell threw for 550 yards and like seven touchdowns today. So there is, and then too, Sam Hartman on the other side of the field for Wake Forest. There's two offenses and then Clemson, all three teams that are high-tempo teams that like to score a lot of points and that like to air the ball the fuck out. So Notre Dame needs to tighten that secondary up. And I know we were without Tariq Bracey again today, but they need to get healthy as well. The bye week should help with that. But going back into these, you know, three out of these last four matchups, you could not pay me enough money to be worried about the Syracuse matchup. They have to tighten up that secondary. Yeah, I mean, I think the blueprint now is if you're going to beat this Notre Dame defense, it's got to be through the air. I mean, Notre Dame shut down Travis Etienne and shut down Clemson's our rushing attack to the tune of literally one yard per carry. So you're not going to beat this Notre Dame team on the ground, especially with that front seven. And you got Kyle Hamilton in the box. I think Kyle Hamilton maybe is probably in the box a little bit too much, blitzing maybe a little bit too much now. We could probably use him back in the I'm playing a little bit more center field which I think Clark Lee is probably going to end up implementing in the next couple of weeks, because I agree with you, the biggest weakness of this defense and maybe of this team right now is the secondary. And that's got to be cleared up because college football is more of a um, shootout type of atmosphere type of game model in the past couple of years. And if the end goal is to beat Clemson, like you can't be giving up 60 points, 55 points to Clemson. I mean, that's entirely possible with Trevor Lawrence and how they, um, played in the second half against Clemson. I thought Notre Dame's defense was great in the first half. Second half, I think they maybe got a little tired, but depth is important about this Notre Dame defense. I think they got a lot of depth in the front seven, but maybe not as much de- depth in the secondary. So I, I agree with you. It's got to improve. 
Yeah, and then too, I mean, our guy Isaiah Pryor had a chance to be, you know, a fucking legend today and grab an outside kick and score, and he just fumbled the bag. Luckily, they got bailed out on that play. But yeah, I, I, I really don't understand how we're this late in the season and the secondary is allowing the amount of numbers that they are week in and week out. I know there's got to be a way to beat this team, and some of these yards, these yards aren't garbage time, but. Phil was able to connect on 18 of 40, so they were good from that aspect, but for 272 yards, so a lot of yards on the completions. Again, this is a Notre Dame defense that is a top unit in the nation, like we've stated, you know, that front seven, guys like Jeremiah, Wosakor, Moa, Drew White, all these different linebackers, even Jack Kaiser. I mean, he, I know he fumbled later in the play. Jack Kaiser was able to come away with a pick. That front seven had a nice push all day day they kept you know they kept pressure in Phil's face they kept somebody in that backfield and keeping him on the run so again I I know it was ugly at the beginning Notre Dame ended up pulling it out 45 to 31 but right now outside of the secondary I don't really have any big concerns on this team I feel like this is the best they've looked this late in the season in a very long time and they just have to go one and oh every week I know we have a bye week coming up, and then we're going to play a, a quality offense in North Carolina, but a defense that gives up a lot of points. Brian, you said 53 against Wake today. Like, that's unacceptable. Notre Dame should be able to hang a 50-burger on them. Yeah, I would agree with basically everything you said. And we were wrong about the Siebel Flemister injury. Apparently, Brian Kelly said it does not appear to be serious, so that's huge. You said that post game, so that's big moving forward. But... I mean, I want to echo what you said about going one and zero. I mean, Notre Dame control they, they control their own destiny and getting you the CFP from now on, and that's what they need to do. Can't fall in. No game should be a trap game because you finish the season undefeated. You have an opportunity again against um, Clemson, even if you play them close. I think you probably get into the CFP, but I mean, obviously the goal is to get an AC title. But Notre Dame controls their own destiny. I don't think they're going to lose another game until, I mean, obviously it's a toss-up against Trevor Lawrence in the AC title, but I think Brian Kelly's instilled a great culture in Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to take anybody lightly. And like you said, I think this is the best Brian Kelly team uh, or the best team of the Brian Kelly era, and I honestly don't think it's that close. But like I say, 1-0 every week, they have some time to get healthy guys or time to get guys like Braden Lindsey back, whether it was – Serious or not, Sebo Flemisher will be able to, you know, fully heal from his injury before we go and play North Carolina at their house. But a great offensive performance early in the season when we were winning games against Louisville, like 12 to 7. I never would have thought that we would have been able to cook like this on offense. Who do you have for your players of the game on the offensive side of the ball and then the defensive side of the ball as well? Offensively, like I stated earlier, it's, it's Ian Buck. That was one of the better games I've ever seen him play, not with just his arm, but with his feet. Yeah, I don't think he recorded a sack. That one touchdown pass to Skoranek was unbelievable. He like stiff-armed a um, defensive lineman, rolled out of the pocket, and threw a strike to uh, Skoranek, streaking to the sideline, and ended up with a touchdown. Defensively, I'm going to go with Dalen Hayes. I didn't get a great look on who was like the most effective, but I mean, he came up with that fumble. And he's just, I think he's um, um, improved upon. He's actually gotten better the past three weeks. He was good at, over the, the, the first month this season, but I really think he's stepped up his game over the past three or four games. And he's, I think, probably one of the most quickest. He's got some of the quickest feet of any defensive college football defensive end I've ever seen. I think he'll probably end up being a low draft pick. He's uh, maybe be playing on Sundays. I mean, he's got, he's huge. He's controlling the line of scrimmage. He's not blockable one-on-one. So I'm going to go with Dalen Hayes. I thought he kind of controlled the 
the line of scrimmage on his side of the ball tonight? For me on offense, I'm going to go with our guy, Mr. Benny in the Jets. The man had three touchdowns, was able to secure yet another quality game in a season that, again, like I said earlier in the podcast, not a lot of people in you know the Notre Dame nation knew what we were getting in Benny Skoranek, and he has definitely answered the call this year, I would say, to this point. Continue to do that week in and week out. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I'm going to go Jack Kaiser because – you know, anytime that Jack Kaiser's in the game, there's some injuries. Something has dealt, you know, we have dealt with something earlier in the week. For him to play the way he did today and also come away with an interception, hats off to him. Love seeing, you know, guys like that who are lower on the death chart get their opportunities and then come out into the game in live game time and ball out. So 45-31 was, you know, was the score today. Notre Dame was able to get out with the victory. We have a bye week this upcoming week. We have an interview with our guy, Brian Mishler, over here on the other end of the microphone and Tori Jackson from Notre Dame Basketball, which the season starts. What is the exact date for the for the first tip off, Brian? It's not set in stone yet. It's probably going to be against Michigan State, which is early December. I forget which exact date, but they're trying to get a game around Thanksgiving. But it's not it's just not set in stone. The scheduling has been a complete shit show for because of COVID. Well, what I will say is set in stone is our interview with uh, Notre Dame basketball story, Tori Jackson, because our guy Brian already got it recorded. So we're ready to rock. That'll hit the airwaves next week. We'll also potentially give you guys a midweek episode uh, just kind of on the state of the program if, if there is you know, any big news or anything that we need to break. But other than that, Brian, do you have any wrap-up thoughts here on this, uh, this Notre Dame victory this Saturday? Uh, I do not. It was a great victory. 8-0 can't. I mean, it's a good time to be a Notre Dame football fan. Yeah. And, and again, too, on, on, the, uh, on the horizon, another interview, a big one. We're not going to tip our hat on it, but stay tuned. There is a huge interview for Irish on tap coming in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. But, again, we were able to come out victorious today. Time to rest this team up. We got a bye week. Let's get some of these injured players back out there on the practice field and back out there on the field to take care of everything and be ready for North Carolina here in a couple of weeks. But again, this was Irish on Tap presented to you by the On Tap Sportsnet. I'm your host, Brandon Suarez. You can follow me on Twitter at BDON300. And today I was joined by my co host, Brian Mishler, who can be followed on Twitter at Brian Mishler. Stay tuned for future podcasts. Like I said, we have a couple interviews dropping to uh, get you guys through the bye week. We got nothing else for you guys, and go Iowa.